Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And we have an interesting show for you this evening. This is a pre-recorded show because of time zones. I have Colin Sanders on, and he's going to be talking about a 1999 triangle uh, UFO sighting and basically the aftermath of that. It's, it's a good one. And uh, I want to thank everyone that helps support the show. Anyone can do that. That information is over at podcastufo.com. And while you're there, we have this week's blog is The Mystery of the Marfa Lights by Charles Lear. Check that out. And without any further ado, I'm bringing in our guest, Colin. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for inviting me onto your show, Martin. Yes, it's great. Um, I read through a little bit of your book, and it's uh, it's quite, quite a sighting you had there. Uh, first of all, let's talk about uh, before this, uh, what was your, before you had this sighting, what were your thoughts on the UFO subject? Did you pay any attention to it at all? No, no, just uh, a passing interest like most people. I had no great interest in UFOs or the UFO subject itself. Um, I think like every young man at the time, I went to see Star Wars at the cinema when it came out. I really enjoyed that. But as far as chasing the UFO phenomenon, no, I was not involved whatsoever. So that night was a complete shock, shock to me. Just came out of the blue. It's really something because uh, how different people react um, to having a sighting. I, I know some people that they just like, oh, yeah, that was yeah, that was interesting. And then just move on. And then other people like myself and yourself do a little more about it, a little deeper dive into it. And that's why I do this show after I had, after I had um, my single sighting basically. Um, and, but it is interesting how some people have no reaction at all about something spectacular like this with no explanation. That's right. And um, part of my um, reaction to this phenomenon and the UFO is my background. I'm a, the engineering background I was involved in prior to the, um, the sighting I have worked in the aircraft industry. I worked on the Airbus in um, Germany, in Hamburg. Uh, spent a year over there and spent a couple of years in Sweden as well, working for Saab Aerospace on a civilian aircraft. So by trade, I'm a draftsman, um, electrical, uh, avionics design draftsman. So I've had quite a, an interesting working career. And, and like I say, part of that has been involved within the, the aircraft industry. So on the mm -hmm. night of the encounter, I knew straight away this was not one of, one of ours. And then you could tell it was from another another world, another planet. And um, the feeling was abs absolutely astronomical. It was almost like meeting God. It was just such a fantastic experience and so close as well. And I think my background obviously made me a bit more, uh, a bit more excited about what I was seeing that night. Yeah. So why don't you tell, this was in March of 1999? <clears throat> that's, that's correct. 31st of March, 1999. Why don't you go over um, exactly what the, 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 happened that night? Okay, well, we'd been out to celebrate my mother-in-law's birthday. She was 72 that day, and um, we picked her up in my wife's car. My wife was driving, and my mother-in-law was in the passenger seat, and I was in the back of the car with my daughter. Um, there was another party involved as well. There was four of them in a Range Rover um, so the two cars, we went to a public house in the countryside to a village called Paleton, which is in the Warwickshire countryside. Um, we left there and it was 9.50 p.m. when we had the encounter. So we, we left the pub and I remember as we pulled off, 
the the other vehicle was um they were trying to get Bailey into the vehicle so they were struggling a little bit so we pulled up in front but we thought they'd catch us up fairly quickly so we drove about a mile through the countryside it was really dark until we came up to what's called the Foss Way the Foss Way is an old Roman road dead straight heads back towards Hinkley where we lived so as we approached the Foss Way, strangely enough, my daughter said, oh, there's been talk of headless horsemen down here. So we all yeah. laughed and joked and said we'd keep his eyes open for them. Mm-hmm. Then we turned the corner onto the Foss Way, and there in front of us, half a mile away, because I've measured the distance, were some lights hovering by the side of the road, the brightest lights I've ever seen in my life. They were red and a bit of white mingled up. And we all started talking excitedly about what they were, what they could be. It was too low for an airplane, too many lights for a helicopter. They look like there should be warning lights on top of a pylon or something, but there's nothing like this down this road. And uh, there's no street lights, so it's very, very dark down there. So we drove towards the lights, all excited, talking about them, what they could be. And then we drove parallel. And there would be a hundred... A the canal, local canals, they're 70 foot long. So I've got a good appreciation of what a hundred feet distance is like. I mean, this... It was so close. But at this point, it was just lights. And we stopped cutting with the lights. And then the sky started to ripple around the lights. And it was like Star Trek, you know, when the craft decloaks, it just decloaked into a metallic structure right in front of our eyes and formed around the lights. And as it did that, the nose rose up in the air, floated in the air. So the rear end of the craft was facing us in the car. And it would be, like I say, 100 feet away. I could have hit it with a cricket ball. It was so close. Now, if it, it was so low that if it had turned from the middle, it would have struck the ground. So the, the rear end stayed where it was, and the nose rose up in the air like a hallway. That revealed the surface, the top surface. Was. Now, that top surface, as you can see there, the whole body looked like it was alive. It looked like liquid mercury blowing up and down the surface. But on top of this liquid mercury, or whatever it was, there was these silver interlocking beams, like an old-fashioned maze in a, in a garden. And, and that was it. And I thought, my God, the three thoughts came straight into my mind. The first one was, aliens exist. The second one was, abductions take place. And the third one was, this explains history, where we've got anomalies like the pyramids and things from the past. It all sort of made sense in that split second when, we, when it reared up in front of us. Now, unfortunately, my wife, being um, quite sensible, she pulled forward in the car to reverse into a gateway, which was more or less underneath this triangle. But as she pulled forward, a hedge blocked a few, and I thought, if it's going to go, it's going to go now. So we reversed into the gateway, jumped out of the car, and it had gone. But it was deadly silent. You could hear a pin drop. Now, as we stood there and looked around, in the distance, I could see another craft disappearing with four big red lights at the back. Again, the same to the small craft we'd seen down on the ground. Um, and that one was like the size of a football pitch. It was just gliding away. And I said, look at the size of that. It's massive. Now, I've been to a few air shows, and I have to say, that's the biggest flying craft I've ever seen. In my original report to um, a guy called Omar Fowler, I did say that I thought the small craft had changed and morphed into a large craft. Now, I said that in my naivety because I knew nothing about UFOs. Once I started researching, I realized the large one going away must have been what they call a mother mothership. Maybe the small one had gone back to it. And as we stood there, there had been nothing, no other airplanes, no cars. Then all of a sudden, like, traffic starts up again, and there's planes back in the sky, and it's back to normal. It's not a busy road at the best of times, but during the 
the encounter, there was no one at all. And in fact, when we got back home to drop the mother-in-law off, um, the second vehicle was already there and the older people had got out and were inside the house. So somehow they passed us along the way, which if they did whilst we was in the gateway, then I'm surprised they didn't see the lights as well or the craft itself. But basically, that, that, that's what happened on the night, which was absolutely incredible. And I've seen now, so much detail in the craft as well. You know, the lights on the back have got crisscross line on them. I remember staring at one of them and it looked like the lines were... Um, from a laser laser source rather than being etched into glass, the rear red lights looked like um, they were displaying some sort of Newton's law of ring interference. Now you can see on the model the lines in relief on the bottom. Now we never saw the bottom at any point, but mm -hmm. that gentleman Omar Fowler sent me some reports from Belgium. Now in the Belgium reports, the lines on relief, I seen that we'd seen them on the surface, and it made sense to me that. The Belgium sighting must have been the bottom of the same craft that we've seen. So I used the Belgium sighting to create the bottom of the craft, and I used our own sighting to create the top of the craft. But we never saw the bottom of the craft, so it, it could have been just flat smooth for, for all we know. But I'm sort of like extrapolating that information from the Belgium sighting onto um, onto our craft. Now, let me ask so, you this. We'll start back. Yeah. Sorry. Was there any possibility? that the craft you saw after you got out of the car at a distance could be the same craft relocated instantly? Um, I wouldn't have said so, no, because the craft in front of us, it was a, like an equilateral triangle, and the back of it was probably only, only like um, 100 metres, no, maybe less than 75 metres wide. The craft going away, it, the wings just seemed to be far more extended. So you've got like long wings coming up and then all of a sudden you've got like a piece at the back where the four red lights were situated. So it was more like thin, thin long wings. Where our, our little craft that came down to us, you know, it was quite a short distance from the end of the wings to the, to the craft itself. So, um, no, I don't think it was the same craft at all. I think it was two, two different craft. And um, we will, we'll never really know about the large craft, but the small craft, yeah. I mean, there was so much detail that I took in at the time. And um, so if you want me to carry on, I, I decided once I got back, yeah. I'd withdraw it. So my daughter did some drawings, I did my drawings. And as I've been an asthma all of my life, it seemed obvious I needed to draw it first. But then I got the idea to actually make a model. So this is the first model that I produced. This is made from balsa wood and, and plywood and dowling. The, the actual um, surface pictures I drew on cold draw and then glued them onto this craft. And then I bought some LEDs, put a switch on, which I think still works. There we go. I made this yep. not long after the site. And there's the, the, the underneath showing the, the Belgium sighting. And more important is the central white core. Now these lines on the surface here, they're not raised up. I couldn't produce that on this particular model, but it was important for me to do that. And that's where the, um, the next models could come in into the equation. Uh, many years later, a friend of mine who knew about my site and who was not necessarily into UFOs, but um, he'd bought a 3D printer and he came around to see me and he said, I want to make a, a copy of your um, UFO if you don't mind. I thought, great. So at last we can put these lines on the surface in 3D where they need to be. 
So this was the first model that he produced. It's a little handheld, tiny model. You can see the lines on the surface standing proud mm -hmm. on this one, which we couldn't, yep. couldn't do with the, um, the smaller one. Um, so it cost him quite a bit. He never charged me anything for this making of this craft. But um, what I said to him was, it's brilliant, but what we've not got is the silver beams on the top and the liquid surface. I said, is there any way we could produce that? And he says, yes, but it's going to be costly. So I came up with the idea of selling some of these smaller models on um, a well-known auction site. All the profit went to my mate John, John Mills, the guy who's been building the models, until we'd built up enough funds, and that's when um, he put a model for me. And this is the one that we see here today. Now, this is the one that's got the liquid-looking surface on on mm -hmm. there and then the beams actually mm -hmm. raised up off in 3d so this this is mm. such an accurate representation of what we saw that night and also a central white core that the top and bottom were joined onto now that's important we'll, we'll get to that a little bit in a while because mm -hmm. there was a bit of um a high strangeness about the encounter as well which um which we'll talk about as we go along yeah so um yeah, yeah once, just, once I got the larger model made, I decided to um, go to a conference in the UK. I hadn't been to one for a long time, and I did a presentation there, told everybody about the sighting. And uh, a couple of guys came up to me, the Kinsella twins, not very nice gentlemen, and suggested that I write a book. And I'd thought about that but um, in the past, but never really done anything about it. And once they suggested that to me, mm. I decided maybe it's time to write a book. And that's what I did. I came back home and I wrote a book. And, and what type of researcher, what, what is the, is the book about your single sighting or it's about triangles in, in uh, the UK? It's about triangles in the UK. It's a mixture of both. Basically, I, I wanted to tell my story and put it down in writing forever mm -hmm. in the book. Um, now, over the years, I, I've got involved with UFO groups and I've had articles published in news, local newspapers, appeared on TV a few times as well. And through that, a lot of people have contacted me, people who have had encounters. It seems like a lot of people need to talk to me because you give us counselling. When you talk to somebody who's had the same experience, you can share your thoughts and, and views. But you try and tell somebody who's had, not had a UFO experience that you've had a close encounter and they can think you're a bit, a bit crazy. So I had a lot of people sending me information and telling me about their own sightings, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. So I saved all of those up and then... When I came to write the book, I put in a lot of the local sightings from my own town and all of my own information, but there wasn't enough to fill a book. I mean, I'd only got up to about 10,000 words at that point, and I needed to try and get 70,000 words to get a decent-sized book. So mm -hmm. I decided to drag in all of those accounts that people had sent to me over the years and also to reach out on um, social media to get some new accounts as well from people on Triangles. And the response was fantastic, you know. In the book, I've got over 130 different close encounter sightings from people. A lot of them are very short stories, you know. They don't last very long, but there's information to be gained from every story that's on there, the 130 accounts. So the book is packed with information. Um, it does obviously talk about my own sighting. And also, um, I believe there is a connection between UFOs and the paranormal. 
Um, well, I know there was a connection. <laughs> so there is a whole section in the book on the connection between paranormal and UFOs because as people were sending me the new um, sightings through and people I was in contact with from the past, I was asking them if I've had any other encounters or any other paranormal experiences. Now, more people were saying yes than saying no. So it seemed mm. logical to have a complete section on, on paranormal experiences that alongside the UFOs. And uh, also touch a little bit on alien telepathy in there as well. But all of it, as weird as it all is, it's just, I keep saying this, it's a science, but it's a science we don't understand yet. It's not magic, mm -hmm. it's not black magic, it, it, you know, it is a proper science, but it's beyond our capability yeah. at the moment. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if there was like a government official that was uh, citing this at the same time as you did? You know, I mean, things would have moved along a lot quicker than they that you would imagine they would anyway um speaking of other people citing it had anyone else in the entire area seen anything that night besides you no. your family nobody at all no we checked i checked i found the airports uh we went and knocked on the door of a local um farm which is quite brave of us the closest building to to where the sighting took place but no, nobody had seen anything at all. It was just just the four of us. And I have to say, the next day when I got up, I found that surprising. I thought everybody would know. And um, mm -hmm. it was April the 1st as well, April Fool's Day the next day. So that made my job a little bit more difficult trying to tell everybody what we'd seen the night before, but I couldn't help myself. Yeah. But I have to say, I mean, it's been accepted really well, you know. Oh, and what about... Um, you said that your uh, extended family was driving should have been driving by you uh, because they arrived at your mother-in-law's or uh, whatever home uh, before you? Yes. Now, it's a bit odd they didn't see us, to be honest. I mean, we did reverse into a gateway. gateway but I'm sure they would have seen us if they'd have passed by. And the reason I mention it is because, like, the next day I went back down to have a look at where we'd seen the craft and to drive back through from where we turned the corner on the Foss Way. Now, when I turned onto the Foss Way, I thought to myself, how could we have seen it being so low down? Because there was like some trees and hedges and things blocking our view from half a mile away. But on the night, it was just absolutely there and clear. Now, my wife, who didn't see the craft because she was driving and she just kept her eyes on, she saw the lights, but kept her eyes on the road and being sensible and we burst into the gateway. She went and picked a friend of ours up from the airport uh, a few days later, a week later, and she drove back along the Foss Way to show her where we'd seen the, the UFO. And when she came home, she says, you know, I think the scenery was different that night. I don't see how we could have seen it from where we turned the corner, although we, we had seen it. So it's almost like we'd got sort of dragged into another dimension or something for a brief moment of time. It's probably not. It probably may just be our imaginations. I don't know, but... The fact that it, the scenery looked different and the second vehicle got home before us is, is all very intriguing, I have to say. I don't think we'll ever know the, the answers on that. Now, when you're talking about this thing appeared to be cloaking and then you saw it appear right in front of your eyes, uh, was it all at once? Or was it like an even type of appearance or what, did it start at one end and move to another, that type of thing? What, how did that happen? Um, yeah, it's difficult to say. It sort of looked as though initially the sky started to ripple 
and I guess you could have said at that point it was like a transparent perspex box around the lights, but it was only briefly, very quick. As soon as I realised it was solid and it was becoming solid, it was in an instant, you know, it was like one second and it had changed from being just lights to being a solid craft. Hmm. Um, so whilst we're on this, this subject, I mean, there is a little bit more to it. So I'm, I'm going to tell you that now. Over the years, and so far, that's what I've done. But the paranormal side, the weird side, on the night, when the craft tilted up in the air and was looking at the surface, all of a sudden, it was like I got a pair of binoculars and put them under my eyes. And the craft was right in front of me. I could see the interlocking lines on the surface. That was the first image. Then I had another image, a second image, which was the nose. Now, the nose was right in front of me. That's a big, round nose. It was beautifully manufactured, but it was so close, I couldn't see the lines on the surface anymore because all I could see was the nose. And then there was a third view. Now, the third view was the central white core down the middle of the craft where you could see the top grey section and the bottom grey section joined to the cent central core. Now, the top and the bottom, they rolled over. You can see the core there at the moment, the white core. The top and the bottom rolled over like a hovercraft skin or the edge of a pie. But where they joined onto the white, there was no nuts and bolts, no rivets, no welding, no seams whatsoever. It was just absolutely amazing how it had been put together. Then the next thing I remember was saying, stop, stop, I want to get out, I want to get out. I wanted to get on board. Me and the mother-in-law wanted to get on board. <laughs> now, the next day, I'm thinking about these three close-up views. I mean, what was that all about? And I decided I'd had an out-of-body experience. And, and that was just like incredible. I'd gone from been an engineer in Draspen dealing with nuts and bolts so all of a sudden having an encounter with the UFO and, and assuming I've had an out-of-body experience as well. Now in the UK we used to have some fantastic UFO conferences um, in a town called Leeds that used to be run by a guy called Graham Birdsell who's passed away now and unfortunately the UFO magazine and the conferences sort of disappeared with him but I went to quite a few of those and they got quite big in the end and I actually got to meet a lot of interesting people like Stanton Freeman and Dr. Roger Deere. but more importantly I met um, Bud Hopkins the late Bud Hopkins oh yeah and um, I had a very short conversation with him I, I told him about the, the craft rising up in front of us and then the three close-up views that I had I told him I thought I had an out-of-body experience and he said to me no no not an out-of-body experience. They were images placed in your mind by the aliens. But that as much as he could say, because then somebody butted in this lady had got a crystal that she found at a UFO site and she wanted to talk to Bob and Bob talked to her and that was my 30 seconds over and done with. So I bear that in mind that what Bob said, but I couldn't figure out how that would have occurred. But that was like 20 years ago. Now, more recently, I've listened to a lot of David Jacobs stuff where he's interviewed a lot of abductees and alien telepathy comes into the equation all of the time. Now I'd assume that telepathy would be voices in your head and you'd put a voice back. But as David Jacobs says, there's sometimes images are placed into people's heads, you know, because an image, a picture can paint a thousand words. So it would make sense swapping images rather than talking. I mean, when I show audiences the model, it's a lot better than them just talking about what I've seen. It's a mm. lot better to show them something tangible. So then 
out of the blue, I get an email from a guy in America. He's never been in touch with MUFON or anybody like that, and he didn't want his name mentioned. And he had a close encounter with a triangle. And he started his email off by saying, just like you, I had three images placed in my mind by the aliens or by the craft itself. Um, we say that because the craft looked like it was organic, to be honest, even though it was clearly manufactured. Now, he had three close views. He said some pipe work on the outside, um, a light in between the V and an internal view of the craft as well. And I thought, what, uh, just like me? And it was like a eureka moment. All of a sudden, it made sense. It wasn't an out-of-body experience. It was more likely three images placed into my mind by either the aliens on the craft or, like I say, the craft itself, because the craft looked like it was organic. And then I had to ask myself, why would they do that? And I guess it's just so I could build the models and get to this point in time where I've written the book. Because without those close viewings, I could not have built the scale model. I wouldn't, from where we were sitting in the car, you wouldn't have been able to see the side view. You wouldn't have been able to see how the top and bottom were rolled onto the central core. You'd only see the rear end of it and the, the top, top view of it as it rose up in the air. So as if that wasn't strange enough, Martin, <laughs> then over the next... 18 months to two years, I started having paranormal experiences. Lights in the sky, um, an invisible creature down at the riverbank, all, all sorts of things. And I was having so many, I kept a list of them all and, um, and the dates. And then they sort of they calmed down over the years. Like, and nothing really happens fantastically anymore like it did in the early days. But I remember having one experience when I was at the river with some invisible, whatever it was. There were four footsteps walking towards me and walked walked in front of me i mean he's probably mm. called it a ghost or something and i stood there and i thought logically because i'm a logical man i'm an engineer but why is this occurring well it's only happened since the ufo so and i've had nothing prior to that nothing for the first 40 years of my life i'm now 65 that's uh, 64 sorry soon soon be 65 and uh, i've only had experiences after the close encounter with the ufo so it made sense then that was the day I decided the UFO was interdimensional. It was coming from a parallel world. It was, wasn't coming from outer space. It's not traveled here because I wouldn't be having these other experiences. So, uh, that, yeah. And, and that, that was one of the things I was going to ask you, what your thoughts were on the way it appeared. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, kind of sounds like something that could be from another dimension. You know, I mean, the reason I say things like this is, no one really knows at this point for sure about anything. And, you know, the, the visions you had, uh, where they could come from, it, whatever it is, it's alien to us. You know, it seems to be. Yeah, I mean, what, what I would say is, though, the, the craft, it, it was beautiful, absolutely amazing. I mean, the way it had been manufactured and there was no, no marks on it, no wear and tear. This thing hadn't come through, burnt through the atmosphere to get here. You know, it just looked like it hopped across from one to another. It was totally silent, and there was no smell of any aviation fuels or anything along those lines. And its movement, that was one of the things I noticed once I started researching. After the, after the encounter, I got onto the internet, obviously, and started finding other people had seen triangles. One of the interesting things that people were saying is that it floats, it's fluid, it glides. It doesn't move like a heavier jump jet does in real time, you know, when that's hovering and you see it move. These things look like the at close quarters look like they're underwater. I'm assuming that is like something to do with the, an anti gravity system that they're using to m propel the craft. Yeah. And 
And yeah, I have another theory as well on that, actually. Um, the beams on the surface. A friend of mine sent me a, a video from a, an engineer who'd got a piece of metal and he um, cooled it down in liquid nitrogen to zero degrees Kelvin, made it into a superconductor and then just got it to hover in space, just hover in a magnetic field. It just sits there and, uh, and vapor comes off it. So I came up with this theory. You see the liquid on the surface of the craft. That mm -hmm. could be something like liquid nitrogen that's trapped in a transparent skin. The beams, the silver beams on top, are actually twice as thick as what's shown there, and they, they go down into the liquid. All those beams on the surface would then be supercooled. They've all become superconductors. And once you get superconductors, you get quantum levitation. Also, with quantum levitation and superconductors, you get vaporization. Now, as the craft materialized, the bottom two nearest wingtips towards us, they had little fluffy white clouds on each corner. It looked absolutely amazing as it materialized. Now, that would be because the craft was so cold and with our air was causing cause, causing vaporization on the wingtips. So I don't know if it's right or not, but that's one theory I've got on how it would perhaps create lift and roll and that sort of thing by using the that, that sort of technique. Again, and then I had the thought that if it's using anti-gravity, would it be coming from a thousand million light years away? Or would it be coming across a dimension? Because you're going to need gravity. You know, once you're out in space, gravity, you need a planet to have gravity to make these craft work. So is that another pointer to it being dimensional rather than extraterrestrial? Hmm. All, all things to ponder. You know, um, one of the things when you're talking about how you had other paranormal experiences afterwards, and it kind of makes me wonder if, you know, the the sightings sometimes will open your mind to more things um, because you're exploring your your mind is more open. Like, what is this? Uh, you know, I wonder if if somehow that the experience opens your mind to other things. Yes, that's right. So for me, definitely. And maybe that's because of my um, engineering background. So what was noticeable that the other three occupants of the car didn't go on to have any other paranormal experiences like myself. It was just me all the time. Mm. And I must admit, I was looking out for things. I'd go out on the patio every night and scan the sky, and I would see things occasionally um, just by going out there and looking, but not with the others. So I tried to figure logically why that would be, and I could only reason I put that down to is because I was the only one who had the close viewing on the night, you know, when it rose in front of us and it felt like somebody had suddenly put some binoculars in front of my eyes. I was the only one who had that experience on the night and I'm the only one who's gone on to have further paranormal experiences since the uh, encounter. So was that the trigger? Or is it like you say, just the fact that I opened up my own mind to what I was seeing? I mean, we don't know. We've got to keep an open mind on all of this. It sounds crazy. There may not have been any aliens on board. It may have been just a remote remotely uh, flown craft it could be something to do with the crossover dimensions that can give you close viewing of these objects it might have nothing to do with aliens on board whatsoever we just don't know we could only try and guess at what these things are but i can say it was a very strange night and high strangeness that went with it would you be dare to say how close you may have been to it yeah, like I say, 100 feet is what I'm estimating it to be. Wow, that, that's like... Could have hit it with a cricket ball. It was that close. Yeah. And how and many like feet said, off, it, of, off how the many ground? Um, whoa, 
Now, the interesting thing is when we came upon the craft, it was at an angle to the earth. It wasn't level like that. It was tilted like this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I think it was tilted is what I've tried to work out over the years is because we're driving towards it. If you're looking at the underneath of the craft, you get to see more of the lights than if it's just straight and parallel with the earth like that. Although as we were approaching, there was no craft. There was just the lights until we grew level with it. But like I say, it was tilted at an angle like this. So this, the lower wingtip must have been um, must have been almost touching the ground, to be honest. It, it must have been just literally a couple of feet off the ground. And like I say, uh, if it had tilted, if the craft had tilted from the middle as it rose up, it would have struck the ground. It would have hit the ground like that. Mm -hmm. So the rear end stayed where it was and the nose came up in the air like that. So I would say the bottom right, uh, bottom right hand wing tip, as we looked at the rear of it, would have been almost touching the ground, and the other one probably would only be 10, 20 feet off the ground. It was incredible. Now, when, when you went back the next day, did you walk over to where you thought it was um, above? Were you able to walk over to that area? No, there was a, a gate, a locked gate, and uh, some horses in the field. Ah. Which is interesting to note, there was horses in the field and there was a stable, so the, the craft probably would have been more or less over the stable, I would have said. But that, ah. whether that was coincidence or not, I don't know whether it was there, because you do hear a lot about animal mutilations. But they, to me, it felt like it was more of an ambush, like they were waiting for us. The light show was incredible. I think they tilted the craft towards us to show more lights, to grab our attention. And <laughs> I've got a good imagination, I have to say, but... I wonder if when we was looking at the small one, the large one came over the top of us, the one that we seen disappearing, the, the trajectory of where it was flying would have brought it over the car. Now, I know my wife, when she drew a picture of what she saw, she drew three red lights in a perfect triangle. There's absolutely no way we could have seen that. Not from where we were. We saw the rear of the craft and top of the craft. We'd never seen the leaf of it at any point, apart from when it was tilted towards us but at that point. It was mingled in with the red lights on the back of the craft and some white in there as well, which I assume would be the central white core. Now, a few months later, I asked her to draw again the lights that she's seen, and again she drew three red lights in a perfect triangle. And I wondered if she saw the underneath of the large mothership coming over the top of the car as the little one was distracting us, because by the time we'd have reversed into the gateway and jumped out, then the large craft was going away from us, and it would sort of fit in with the time period. But again, we're just trying to guess at what, what exactly took place there. Now, your daughter, did, did you think your daughter saw exactly what you saw? Yes, and the mother-in-law. Um, my daughter drew the same sort of pictures, and the mother-in-law talked about a craft. She said the girders on the surface. Now, when it comes to the paranormal side of things, most people who have written in with their experiences, who have had paranormal experiences, seem to have had the paranormal experiences prior to the ufo like throughout mm. the life they've seen ghosts and things for me i had nothing as i can remember all my experiences my mother-in-law myself we would have got on board in the chance we were so excited my wife wasn't quite so excited my daughter was a bit scared but we wanted to get out we wanted to get on board now over the next few weeks the mother-in-law anything to do with she could and sent it down to me. So me and my mother-in-law became quite close 
as far as the UFOs are concerned. Now, she died, unfortunately, during COVID lockdown. And um, when they cleaned out the, the bedroom, they found all this paranormal literature. And they've given it to me, like all these paper cuttings and loads of stuff like so it seems quite logical to me that the mother-in-law had had um, paranormal experiences prior to the UFO. So that's an interesting, mm. interesting sort of point. And, and she was keen to get on board, the same as myself. Huh. So you really, had a, you really had a feeling like you would want to get on board if there was an opportunity? Yes, that's how I felt at the time. I know it's strange because people say to me, weren't you frightened? Weren't you scared? And it was the complete opposite. As, as it rose up in the air, I mean, I marveled at it. It was almost like you felt love and affection for it. It was just incredible. It was so wonderful and so nice. It wasn't frightening at all. Yeah, I would like to have known more, I must admit. It was, I was so disappointed that it disappeared. Yeah, I, I think I would have got on board, yeah. I don't know what the end result would have been of that, but um, I would have been keen to have found out, yeah. How about that? And, you know, you mentioned that you think it could be organic. You mean as in like a living thing? Yes. Yeah. I know that's odd. I mean, when, when it reared up in front of us, it looked like it was alive. And I think that was because of the liquid surface. I mean, the liquid, it looked like waves were going up and down it all the time. And the way I describe it is if you look at a lake at night, it's got a ripple on it and the moon's shining on it. And the moon's catching little bits of the ripples. It looked like that, and it made it look like the whole thing was alive. Now, obviously, that wasn't an electromagnetic effect because the silver beams on top of that were solid. They weren't moving. They were absolutely rock solid. It was just a liquid underneath. But because of that, I think that gave it the impression of being um, being alive, being organic. But it was clearly manufactured. Mm -hmm. But sympathetically manufactured is a word I like to use. Well, you know, it's it's one of these things that could be both. You know, it could be manufactured and alive as far as we know. You know, I mean, there are other people that have reported a similar experience of thinking that what they were looking at was some type of living thing. Uh, I've heard this. I remember Denise Stoner. I'm trying to think of other circumstances where I've heard people say this, the same thing. Um, people who have claimed to have been ab abducted and on board, um, some of them are saying they feel like it's a living thing. It interacts, you know, like a living thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yes, I've, I've heard that many times myself, actually. And, yeah. um, when, when you hear, when you hear about people who try to fly the craft or being taught to fly, it's all done with the mind. You know, you put your hand on the control panel and think. So, are you connecting with the living, the living craft at that point? I guess this technology is so far advanced, you know, we're, we're going to struggle to understand a bit of it. Yeah, exactly what's going on there. But and, yeah, you know, <laughs> a lot of people talk about, uh, and I think I heard you mention it uh, briefly, is that maybe it wanted you to see it because of the lights. You know, I mean, a, a lot of people have commented on this show over the years. Well, uh, why do they have lights? Why would they have lights um, if they can traverse the uh, galaxy or wherever they're coming from? Why would they need lights unless they want attention? Um, you know, I mean, it is a, a curi another interesting question. It is, yeah. And I, personally, I think the lights are a byproduct of the power system. I don't think they're intentional. I think obviously they can at times switch them off because they are seen with no lights on whatsoever. But more often than not, they do tend to be lit up like a Christmas tree. 
Yeah. Now, my experience and some of the local guys who have seen triangles, we tend to have three red lights in the corners and a white light in the middle. Now, sometimes right. that's reversed. There's a red light in the middle and white lights in the corner. Hmm. But I've been through all the sightings in the book that people have sent in, and now the colours, they were the general colours that you would see. But other people have reported that they're seeing um, red lights, white, green, blue, yellow, orange, bronze, purple, pink, and sometimes with a white beam coming down to the ground from the centre of the craft. Now, I, I realised until I started looking at all the information that was sent to me that there was, there was such a variety of colours being shown. And like you say, these colours... Um, they're not hiding the craft, are they? And they're not navigation lights, obviously. They're not used for that purpose. But the triangles themselves as well. I mean, I've always said they were grey and black like ours, but people have seen orange, silver, gold, white, blue, yep. dark brown and green. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And the other um, amazing thing is there's just so many of them. You know, I'm only looking at the UK and most of them are around this area and there's 130 there. These are not... TR3Bs coming out of Arizona. These are not man-made, back-engineered products. You just you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't make different. You can all the same like they do with the stutters and the stealth bombers. Very rarely do you change it. You know, a good working pattern as you as you're going along. So definitely not TR3Bs. Um, what do you? Uh, can you describe like a really interesting sighting? of someone else that you interviewed for your book? Yes. Um, I'll read this one to you first. That when he'd been at a, I had seen a few other things along the years. Then this one night, he'd seen some lights in the sky with his daughter and get a closer look. And then they said, we the of the town. My ex-partner tried to say it was Venus, but Venus was also clearly visible, and the object was also my ex-daughter's wife. Ex-daughter, who was seven at the time, became hysterical and said it was aliens. We were suit was very bright, but as we were following slowly in the car into the new North Yorkshire, it seemed to be getting lower. We both reasoned it, it was maybe a helicopter, but there were no strobes and no noise. Um, after driving down down the track to the river. It was there. It was probably 300 feet above the ground. It was huge, at least a 1,000 feet across. The lights at the apices were dim yellow-orange, and there was a dimmer orange light in the body towards the back. I got out of the car and stood staring at the triangle. There was total silence. I could, hear, could no longer hear the traffic from the nearby A1 motorway. The body was black, and it blacked out the stars, and I could see stars around it, and also a nearby farmhouse on the hill south of the river. It also seemed to block out the breeze. I don't know whether I got closer to it or it to me, but I seemed right underneath it. I could see black channels etched into the underside of it, which you have to now made me think they're a docking mechanism. I can't explain how. I've never told anybody until now, but it seemed to be just a few feet above me. It seemed to be made of slate or graphite material, very dark grey and a smooth matte texture. I could feel the presence in my whole body and the dental implant was vibrating in my mouth. I could see the channels covered the underside of the craft. They're probably six feet across and of a similar depth. I raised my hands and touched part of the craft's body between the channels. I was terrified and even thought it could harm me, but did it anyway. I pushed my fingers over it and then put my entire palm on it. It felt like a hard kitchen worktop with a matte finish, but was not. But it was not cold. 
The next thing I remember is my daughter shouting to me to come back to the car. She hadn't wanted to get out. So that's incredible. That is a thousand feet size triangle coming down so close to a guy that he could touch it, touch the underneath of it. Absolutely incredible. There's some fantastic stories in here. Do you, you want me to read you another one? Another one I find fantastic. Uh, this, yeah, I mean, yeah. Or you can you can do it in like in a in a nutshell. But this is a, he's one of the very few people. I mean, Jem Penniston over there, you know, during the Rendlesham Forest claims that he touched the craft. But there's very few people that actually have actually said that they've been able to do that. Um, before you move on from this particular guy, person. Um, did he have any after effects after touching it in any type of way? Uh, not that he's told me about. No, no. Yeah. Everything seemed mm. to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, no side effects. No, no problems. Same with the cells. Actually, we didn't seem to have any, uh, any radiation burns or anything like that from our own close encounter. No side effects mm. apart from me being quite totally obsessed with the subject. <laughs> that was the only side effect really. Hmm. That's an interesting one, for sure. Yeah, I, there is another account in the book where um, a guy had um, an encounter with a triangle. There was two of them, him and his, his friend, but he actually got that close to it. He said you could see the liquid on the surface, and he put his hand inside the liquid. He said it felt like a tin of paint. As soon as he put his hand inside the liquid of the craft, it was around the nose area, I believe. He said it was a flash and a bang, an orange flash, and it had gone. And then they saw three lights in a triangle flying away from them. But this was a triangle that, had, that was sitting on them in the lay-by on the side of the road. Quite an amazing experience. Yeah. And it's quite in-depth report on that one. That's in the back of the book. So that's the, that's two people in the book that have actually touched the triangles. And uh, same thing. Only, only the same, two. Same question with this person. Um, I can't believe he actually put his hand right in that. Uh, yeah. What uh, do you also ask these people if they noticed any missing time or anything like that? I mean, do you have any of those cases where people are missing time? Um, yes, there's quite a few, I believe, where people miss time, not always a, a, a lot of time, but you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, mm -hmm. there was a guy, a guy uh, I met in my local town in Hinkley that somebody put me in touch with. Uh, he came home on his motorbike one night and he was coming up what's called Coventry Road in Hinkley and he saw a large triangle. He said, initially he said it was the size of a football pitch and he changed his mind and said, no, it was one and a half times the size of a football pitch. He said it was absolutely massive and it floated over the what we call Transco, which is um, a gas um, control centre in Hinkley. But he said as it passed over, his motorbike stopped, stopped working and he just looked up and watched this triangle slowly, very slowly, come over the town and, and just disappear. So his motorbike started up again. He went home and he'd lost one and a half hours time. He'd left his girlfriend's house in the meeting. He knows what time he left. He knows what time he got home. And he, to this day, he doesn't know what happened. He was one and a half hours. And that's, uh, mm. that's one of the local guys, one of the local witnesses. Um, yeah, I'll just quickly read you another one that... Um, I found interesting that's in the book. This is um, from a girl who, who got in touch with me, and she was ever so excited by me about it. Um, well, my friend was three years older than me, and we were unemployed at the time. We decided to go and visit Dad's property, a 10 to 15-minute walk away, and we arrived at 8 till 9 p.m. at 
night. The house had a football pitch just beyond the back garden and wild space surrounding it. The weather had been dry all day. When we came to leave late that night, we glanced over to the football pitch via the entrance. We both spotted the mist and a pyramid, so we decided to go and investigate. The pyramid object was the size of a council house and did not quite reach the ground, but hovering just above the ground, about a foot or two in height off the ground, foot or two off the ground. The pyramid looked to be made of glass and was transparent. I could see swirls of coloured gas inside, yellow, blue, green, in fact, like a rainbow. As they approached the pyramid, it backed away from them. But when they backed away, the pyramid returned to its original position. The craft became, then became solid. In fact, Lindsay described it as metallic, with Egyptian hieroglyphs on all sides. One of these hieroglyphs was a man with a bird, bird's head carrying a long spear. spear. Lindsay and her friend became nervous and decided to go home, where they believe they lost half to three quarters of an hour in time. Lindsay's friend looked up courage back to the football pitch, but the pyramid and the mist had now gone. Now, when she told me that, and the, uh, the connections between that and uh, hieroglyphs from ancient Egypt, I thought that was absolutely incredible. I've never heard of anything like that before, but that's tying in ancient history with modern ufology. It's fantastic. Yeah. That really is, that's an amazing, amazing one. And I, I also have seen a case where, you know, you're talking about, you, you have done some talks about what you saw and you bring your model with you and all that. And, but I've seen this, that people come up from the audience. A lot of times that's where you hear some amazing stories and people just want you to, they want you to listen. That's, that's what they want. They want, they want to be heard. Uh, about what they That's went right. through. It's a, it's a type of counselling, letting people talk to you, let them talk, and, and they enjoy talking to you because they know that you've seen it. I've had a lot of people come up to me after conferences and, and talk to me. I remember one old guy, he must have been in his 80s, maybe even <laughs> quite older, and he said um, he was out fishing, something like that, and this craft came down, and there was a, got a glass dome on the front. You could see this alien inside it, and he said, really close, and this alien opened his mouth, and put a big tongue out. It's absolutely frightened him to death. And then it <laughs> flew away. I mean, it was such a scary sight in that one. Whew, yeah. I wouldn't have liked to have been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that it's kind of funny. I, I, I think some of the more interesting ones or almost like the more believable ones are very odd like that. You know what I mean? They just make no, sometimes the, when they make even less sense, they seem even more plausible in a way because it's just, it's such a mystery anyway, the whole thing. That's right. And why, why would make up such fantastic stories to be ridiculed? You wouldn't. You know, I'm putting myself out here to be ridiculed, and I'm sure I will be. But I know what I saw that night. And one thing I know is that when you tell the truth, the truth makes you strong. So, you know, this is all real that's going on. And like you say, People who talk to me with such strange stories, I've got to believe them. If I expect them to believe what I've seen and what I've been through, then I, I yeah. believe what they're telling me. I mean, the girl yeah. who's seen the Egyptian hieroglyphs, she's one of those who had uh, visitations when she was younger. So that's in the book as well. She's had paranormal experiences prior to the UFO experience. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, do you have any, uh, from this point on, do you plan on, uh, writing anything else or is this, uh, I mean, this is what I see happens a lot and tell me if this is happening to you. You, you go out there, you talk and all of a sudden you have, you have a book done. The book gets out there. I know your book is about to get out there, but 
Um, what could happen possibly is you'll be contacted by other people and you'll get more and more information. And so is it a possibility? And I know you're, you're, this book is about ready to come out, but is that a thought? Uh, would you think about ever writing another one or is this too much of a project? No, that's a, that's a good question. That, yeah, it's taken me 24 years, I guess, to get around to writing this one. And I'm not really an author as such. And I can't believe I've actually sat down and done this. Um, <laughs> and I would said, did say at the time when I wrote it, I'd never do another one again because I haven't yeah. got any more information. and I've only had the one one sighting. But it's right. exactly as you, you've said, the book is already coming out and people are already getting in touch with their sightings. Yeah. So I've only had two or three at the moment because it's only in its infancy, but I have uh, started collecting those. And everybody now who writes in and tells me about their experience, I, I, I see me building up a second book because it's yeah. such a fascinating subject. And the more yeah. we do this, the more we're going to learn, all of us, you know, about the yeah. the movements, the manufacturer, the lights, colors, etc. There's a lot to be right. gained from all of this. Well, we're at the end of the show already. I want to thank you very much. That was uh, very interesting. It goes so quickly, doesn't it, once you start chatting? It does. You bet. <laughs> All right, you take care. Okay, so the book is actually on sale now on Amazon. Here it is. Oh, there it Don't is. Okay. Well, very good. Officially, it's, it's at the end of the month, but uh, it is on sale at the moment. So, Thank you for and your time, I'll, Martin. Thank you. And I'll link your book to this show in the show notes, along with all the pictures. Thank you so much. You're good. All right. All right, everyone. So thank you. We'll be back next week with Katie Cook. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.